Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Glad you could join me in the studio with me. If you hear a little jingling in the background, that's my German wire-haired pointer flick. Right now he's quiet and dozing. Let's keep it that way. Great show in store for you. One of your highest priorities, you tell me in all my surveys, all my newsletters, and a whole bunch of emails and Facebook uh, messages is you want to shoot better. And I feel your pain. You know what I go through with a cross-dominant right-handed shooting with a left-hand good eye, you know. So we're going to talk to an expert on that. Dave Fiedler joins us. He's an NSCA Level 3 instructor avid wing shooter and the owner of mid valley clays and shooting school this guy knows of what he speaks i'll be asking him all the dumb questions and then some of the others that might have come from you if you were talking to me recently about everything from cross dominance to gun fit to what clay target game is right for we wild bird shooters it's all coming up on the upland nation broadcast made possible by roughland performance kennels sage and breaker gun care products pointer shotguns dr tim's natural performance dog food and audiocardio.com more to come on them later in the podcast Whew. well it's just about here. I'm counting the days, getting packed up, already got the books on the way. Yeah, going to Pheasant Fest in Omaha, Nebraska. I'll see you there March 11th through 13th. Yeah, the book, a new paperback edition with a new title coming out in June. I have a limited number of preview copies, not supposed to really hand those out, but I I have enough to where I can spare some for people who aren't book reviewers and that sort of thing. So stop by one of these booths and say hello. I'll be signing books in each of them at various times throughout Pheasant Fest, starting with the Huron, South Dakota booth in the South Dakota Pavilion. I'll also be at uh, the Roughland Performance Kennels booth, the Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products booth, and Pointer Shotguns Legacy Sports. So come on by, say hello. I'll have some stickers there. You don't need to buy a book, but if you do, I'll autograph it right there and then for you. And uh, we can strike up a relationship that might pay off down the road in, well, who knows what kind of way. Maybe you'll learn something from the book, or maybe we'll hunt together somewhere next season. If you're hunting, then you probably need to learn more about Sage and Breaker gun care products crafted at the highest caliber. Sign up for their mailing list. You'll get first notice of new products, and you'll also hear about sales. The once-in-a-while, very rare sales that owner Fred Bohm puts on. Sageandbreaker.com is where you go to sign up for that. Learn about their well, particularly their gun care products, which I use the heck out of all season. CLP, Clean Lube Protect, is the spray-on liquid that I use the most. It's non-toxic, coats and protects the bore and all moving parts of your firearm. Now, it's different and better than standard gun oil in that it, it provides improved heat dissipation. Yeah, don't ask me about the physics of all of that, but what it does is results in a cooler gun, and that means a more accurate gun. Learn more at sageandbreaker.com. And uh, if you're looking for a new shotgun for one of your beginning students, then uh, legacysports.com is where you got to start your search. Their pointer shotguns are winners, especially for an entry-level beginner of, uh, let's just say, uh, less mature chronology. One of the most appealing features, it's a youth model with a short length of pull, 12 and a half inches, chambered in 20 or 410, nice again, and with 26-inch barrels, so it balances right and swings right for a younger, smaller stature shooter. Maybe some of the women would be interested in that as well. Whatever it is, if you're looking for a beginner's shotgun, check out the youth model pointer shotgun in the Acrius model from LegacySports.com.
Well, I've been looking forward to this talk for quite a while. The guy knows his stuff, and I have kind of a connection to Mid-Valley Clays and shooting school. Shot a pilot for one of my series way back in the day over there. And uh, since then, Dave Fiedler and his team have taken over and really changed things up for the better out there in Jervis, Oregon. But if you're anywhere in the West, it's certainly worth a look. Dave Fiedler, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, I like I said, I, I you know, everybody who knows me knows that shooting is one of those things I, I really would like to be better at. So would grammar, but that's another story. Um, so, uh, so we're going to focus on that kind of stuff because so does everybody else. It's a very high priority. But before we get into any of that, um, tell me about your last shooting foray down there in the great state of Texas. Well, I don't know, like I was telling you before, if that was really much of a hunting thing, but it was definitely a lot of shooting birds. We uh, we were taken down there for a sales meeting. Uh, unfortunately, the weather in Texas took a turn for the worst, and it was 11 degrees the whole day that we shot. The morning, we had 26 shooters, and they did a driven bird shoot, you know, where they throw the birds over the top of your head, which was actually very sporting, but out of the 500 they threw, we got 360. Then we took a little break, and then they took us out into the fields. And uh, like I said, it was it was incredible. The guy had our our um, guide had a what did he have? He had a English what did he have? Oh, he had a setter the first, and then the lab. So the setter would go on point, and then they'd bring the lab in, and the lab would flush, and we would shoot them. And then the the uh, guide would have like 800 birds in his back, and he had to wander <laughs> back to get rid of them. So after a couple hours of shooting, a, a guy from uh, Ohio and myself bagged 67 birds. So like I said, it really wasn't a lot of hunting, but it was the bird. The dogs were fantastic. They did a great job of retrieving. I don't think we lost one bird out of 67 that we shot. So it was pretty impressive. So it, it was a lot of fun, but it also took me about a week and a half to get over being in that cold weather for that long. Oh, I'm, I'm getting old. Uh, I bet. And, you know, there are some, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment, but first off, where was, where was this place? Uh, I was down uh, about two hours east of, or I'm sorry, west of Dallas. Well, I'm, I'm jealous that you got that much shooting in and I'm glad you're doing well at it. What was the biggest challenge shooting in such cold weather? Well, normally when I shoot, I always have a glove on my left hand. I don't care if I'm hunting, if I'm shooting clays, fetas, sporting clays, whatever. I always have a glove on my left hand. And the reason is it could be a leather glove, it could be a golf glove, it could be a shooting glove. But I want that left hand, which is my lead hand, which always goes to the target of the bird, to feel the same all the time. So I don't care how cold it is or how warm it is or how wet it is, my left hand on that gun, because I'm right-handed, always feels the same. I don't like to put a glove on my right hand, but it was so cold on there that I really didn't have a choice. I had to put a glove on, and that makes it a little difficult for me, um, being you know a clay shooter and a hunter, to be able to get into to you know the trigger mechanism and be safe. You know, I do know because I wear uh, roping gloves all the time. People think I'm nuts in the middle of July when I'm out at the sporting clays range with these somewhat heavy deerskin gloves on. But I'm like you. Yeah, I'm just kind of used to it, and that you know one millimeter of thickness does throw me off a little bit. Yeah, I started it so long ago when I was shooting trap 100 years ago. Um, the gun I was shooting had the the um, engraving or whatever you want to call it, the uh, on the, the wood in the front. The checkering, yeah, that's yeah. it. Thanks, I told you I was getting old. The checkering <laughs> was so sharp that um, it would cut the middle of my finger. So I just started wearing a glove, and ever since then, you know, 8,000 pairs of gloves later, uh, that's where I am. That's a hell of a checkering job if it's so sharp that it's cutting your fingers. I got to talk to that guy. <laughs> well, it, it's how you hold the gun. You know, it was. It's. I guess it's the side of the finger more than anything. Yeah. And uh, anyway, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I love it. Well, um, speaking of your story, let's let's go back. Uh, take me from uh, well before you came to Mid Valley, and uh, and then let's go through what's new over there as well. So give me a little bit of your resume. Well, I started shooting sporting clays back in 86, but before that I shot trap from like the age of basically 17, um, and then from the age of 22 to 26 I shot for Budweiser uh, in Wisconsin, because that's originally where I'm from. We opened up the first sporting clay course in Wisconsin, 
Um, and we just kind of went from there. We ended up, uh, you know, bopping around, opening up different courses, going from here to there. It was kind of like being a guy who owns a restaurant. They have one for a while, close it, and they open up a different one. And that's kind of what happened. I ended up with a private little place of my own. And uh, then we ended up doing a lot of TV shows in the Midwest there. Um, and there was probably 18 or 20 different clubs in the Midwest that I, that I taught at before I moved to Nevada and ran a gun club in Carson City. The um, And all the while I was doing that, because it was so new, the sport of sporting clays, if that makes any sense, was so new that nobody knew what was going on. So we would, I would end up getting hired for a lot of different places to set their targets. I've set targets across the country and in England. I'm the only person in the United States who have ever set four world fee tasks. I've set the nationals a ton of times. I've set the targets for um, many, many state shoots across the country. And when I mean set, it's not like if you know the old trap shooters where they would go inside the house and set the target on. This is actually like designing a golf course, and you design where the stand's going to be, where the targets are going to be, what the targets are, the trajectory of the targets are going to be, and the kind of targets and the color of the targets. So um, after uh, back in 2004, I think I moved from Wisconsin, ran a club in Nevada, took that from uh, basically run down to a decent place to 2009, and 2009 to 2013, I just travel around the country and put instructor classes on and set targets. That gets old after a while being gone for five six weeks at a time so when they said hey you want to come to oregon i said oregon are you crazy it rains up there <laughs> yeah it does <laughs> but we're used to it right Yes, and you know my dogs, which are pointers, and living in Nevada, ended up after the first year here. They had little um, little gills on their their sides. <laughs> so, but you know they got used to it, and uh, you know we've we've taken this place, and I think we took the next step up there. We've got 15 stations with four traps on everything. We have covered stands. We have covered heating heated five stands where you shoot from. Um, I have a full full basically lined um, pro shop where I handle uh, Brownings, which is our mainstay, Berettas, Blazer, Craigoff, and Cesar Garini. So anything that you want, we kind of have, and we're really, with your help, getting a lot more into hunting guns as well. So um, we, we've taken it from throwing about a half a million targets a year to I think last year we threw about three million. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot. My shoulder hurts just even saying that or, or hearing it at least. Um, you know, I, I think we, we actually go back farther than you might think. I think I know that club in Carson City, and I, I actually made an episode of a show there many, many years ago. and Drove by it, I think, a week and a half ago or where it used to be at least. But uh, uh, right now you're, you're, you're in the thick of things. You've got, uh, like you said, traps, skeet five stands, sporting clays, and then the one that some may not recognize, FETASC. Why don't you explain a little bit about what that is? Well, FETASC is what the world shoots other than the UK and us, which mm -hmm. is the United States. And what that basically is, it's basically um, hunter's clays. And if you're actually going to practice hunting, you, you know, you go on a sporting clay course, they throw you two targets. They throw one from the left, one from the right. You shoot one target at each. But realistically, if you're hunting and a bird gets up, do you shoot once at it and then go look for another one? No, you make sure it's dead before you move to the second bird. Well, in fee task, what they do is allow you to shoot, uh, they call it full use of the gun, which is two shots at every single. And if you can imagine, you have five traps set up in, I'm going to call a baseball field. And so what you have is three different spots to be able to shoot on these different traps on the baseball field. So if you went, you had, and we call them hoops, is what they're, they're shooting stands, and there's three different ones um, in the old style, which we don't need to get into the new style, but old style is what we're talking about here. So imagine that you have a, a hoop or a shooting stand on first base. So everything that was a crosser from left to right, uh, incomer from the outfield, and maybe an outgoer from where the catcher stands. But now you move over to your next stand, you move over to the pitcher's mound. And now you have those targets that were coming from the left on now a total different angle. So now the, th the third time you're going to do is you're going to move over to third base. Now third base, everything that was left to right going away is now a whole different angle. So the idea of that is to be able to get a lot of targets, uh, different presentations without um, having a lot of land. Because not uh, most countries around the world aren't like us, blessed like us. We have a lot of land to put into a full sporting clay course. So that's about as abbreviated as I could get it. And I'm telling you what, FETASC is my game. 
I love that game better than anything else. And it's low gun. And low gun, basically, if you took a sheet of paper from the top of your um, shoulder down, um, wide, not, not lengthwise, widewise, and you drew a line there. So the top of your gun has to be below that line until you see the target. You can't just go pull and mount the gun because it's like hunting. You know, you don't mount the gun until you see the, see the bird. This fee task is the same exact way. So if you like to hunt, I'm telling you what, practice fee task is, is the way to go. I mean, I, when we throw a fee task shoot, we are lined up with people who are hunters because they love it. You, you, thanks. That was the best explanation I've ever heard. And I made, I made a TV show about clay target shooting for three years, and I never heard <laughs> anybody do it as well as you did. Well, thank uh, you. I remember when it was brand new. We were there, weren't we, Dave? Yeah, so... Uh, I was there. I was, was there, was... believe me. Since 1986, I've been in sporting clays. You'd think I know how to do it by now. Oh, yeah. yeah well, yeah. That's what I hear all the time as well. So... Um, there's also some other things going on there. You got the pro shop, you have all those ways to shoot targets, but uh, a buddy of mine is already convinced that he's going to come over and take a lesson from you. And he invited me to come too. And I said, well, let's bring the trailer. We'll just stay for a couple days. So, there you go. So you've, you've got a location for a claycation. Yes, we do. And we do that all the time. We have people that come from around the country, from the West Coast for sure, that come and they bring their trailers. We have 50 spots for RVs. So what they'll do is they come, put their RV here for the whole summer, and some of them come for the weekend, some stay for the whole summer. Um, and it's nice because when you are here, you can shoot seven days a week. And that really goes a long way because that way people that, that stay here don't have the big crowd to worry about. And they love that. They're like, oh, we have the whole course to ourselves type thing. So uh, it, it's a big hit. You know, I'm here to tell you. I, I'm looking forward to it. We'll see you very soon out there. Um, let's talk about some of the things that are, um, are plaguing us, we as bird hunters, that you might be able to help us with. Um, if you wanted to just start with the top you know, the number one problem most of us come to you to solve, what would it be? Number one problem, I have no consistency. Yeah. I can't do anything. I'm not consistent. One day I'm really good, the next day it looks like I never picked up a gun before. Um, that is the, probably the biggest um, of the level of students that I take. Uh, we, we have uh, seven or eight different instructors here, and what we'll do is we have, if you're a new shooter, we kind of push you to these instructors. If you're a more advanced shooter, and if you are really advanced, that's the only time I would usually work with you. But the biggest thing, I don't care who they are, they always want to worry about consistency. Well, you know, I, I get it because I'm the same way and I'm, I'm kind of flighty about everything from gun choice to uh, whether I am putting a patch on my left eye or not. But is it something more basic than that deep stuff? Is it just that we don't know how to mount our gun or is it uh, something else? Well, I'll, I'll tell you the truth that the most fun people I teach nowadays and have for a long time are people that have been hunting their whole life. You know, the guy who's 50 plus years old, been hunting his whole life, his grandpa showed him how to shoot. Well, I watch these guys and they have so many different moves. It's like they're doing the hokey pokey instead yeah. of trying to mount the gun. It's like, so what I'll do is just go in there and take away all the stuff they don't need. I mean, it's like when, uh, you know, somebody's going to go on a plane uh, in the military and they say, okay, you don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need that. This is what you need. And they look at me and they go, that can't work. And I said, okay, we'll try this. And they go, bang, and they break the target. And like, it can't be that easy. I said, it is. You guys have always gotten too much stuff in your head. Let's keep this as simple as possible. You don't need all of this stuff. Let's just get rid of the moves that you don't need. So, um, and, and after that, it, it's, it's pretty simple. So is that a short explanation? Yeah, it is. And, but I'm going to make it longer because I'll never forget. We were on, we were on a slope, uh, with a brand new chucker hunter. It's been four or five years ago and she's walking in on a dog on point and it was under my dog. So you never knew how long he would stay on point <laughs> <laughs> and she's got her, um, shotgun almost in the port arms position. <clears throat> Pardon me. I'm all choked up about it because I'd love <laughs> you to do better at it next time. Um, and she's, you know, marching in on the dog and she's got this gun here. And, and immediately I'm seeing the same things that maybe you're seeing. Okay. That means the first thing she's got to do is set her feet. Then she's got to move her gun to the front. Then she's got to bring it up to her shoulder. All those things are so complicated and so unnecessary. Are those the things you see and tell them to get shed of? 
Yes. Yes. I mean, a lot of things we'll do is, okay, uh, we'll actually, once we get the basics done, okay, we need to get rid of this. We'll actually have them walk up towards a trap and we'll throw when they're least expecting it. Yeah. All right. So that means, you know, we would throw the target when your wrong foot is up there. You know, and so we, we have the practice a few times. Okay, which is smarter for you? Is it smarter to take that half a step and get yourself set and pull the trigger? Or is it smarter to try to just fall over and shoot at the same time? You know, so a lot of this, we let them figure that out for themselves. Um, and that's actually teaches the best. If you have to tell them over and over and over, it usually in, ear one, in, in one ear and out the other. But if they can understand what you're doing, okay, take another half a step while this target goes out, and then you can break the target. They're like, I don't have time. I said, well, let's try it. They try it and they go, oh, that works way better. Yeah. So <laughs> there are lots and lots of small things to practice like that, which makes you a much, much better shooter. You're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, the question asker, the master with all the answers is Dave Fiedler of Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School in Oregon, just over the hill, which is getting coated in snow as we speak. Um, Dave, if if you had to get in their head and tell them to get rid of something in their, you know, something unnecessary in their approach to shooting, what would it be? I think the biggest thing is what is, um, uh, I'm trying to do this in like five seconds or less, is how they mount their gun. It's They want to mount it up and then they want to look for the target. What, what we need to do is get them to, basically, it's a, it's a saying that's been around forever. We want them to move, mount, shoot. We don't want them to mount, move, and then shoot. All right. And does that make any sense to you? A lot of people want to bring the gun to their face and they want to do this and bring their head down. And always, you know, the last thing they're doing is looking at the bird. By the time they get this move down, that move down and all of a sudden, oh, the bird's 45 yards away. So, you know, we work on trying, okay, let's, let's get all this done. I want you to move to the target. I want you to mount the gun to your face as you're moving and pull the trigger when it hits your face and the target will come down dead. I promise you. I, I, I get it. I'm try, I try my best to do that. And there are two, two, two problematic points in that transaction. The first is, and I'll ask you in a minute to explain what you really mean by move, because the gun's not up there yet. And the other is, I saw it all the time when I was working deep in the, in the sporting clays world, some, and, and worse yet in the trap and the skeet world, these follow throughs, these swing through and, <laughs> and, and, and what, what's the other method called? Uh, but the, the gun, the gun movement is measured in feet. And are those two a part of that approach? And what, what do we do about each of those? How, what do you mean by move? Okay, this would be the easiest way to explain that. Um, shooting a shotgun and driving a car are the exact same thing. I mean, the, if, if you look at the hood of your car, where you're going to end up? In the ditch. If you look at the end of your barrel, you cannot focus you know, on the edge of that barrel and with the target you're shooting at. So when I say move, so the target's getting up from your right and moving to your left. You'd want to do, if you're right-handed, you're going to take your left hand and you're going to move that left hand right with the target. Now, remember the old World War II movies they had that were black and white and they would be in basic training and they had the M1s or whatever they are with the bayonet at the end of the gun? Yeah. Okay, so imagine you're taking your left hand with a bayonet at the end of it, and as that target's moving, you're basically going to just take your left hand and stick the front of that target or the front of the bird. And as you're moving to stick the front of that target, your right hand is slowly pushing that gun into your face. When it hits your face, it should all come together. The bird, the gun, and your face should all hit about the same time. You pull the trigger and the target comes down dead. You have to move your left hand, and I'm going with the right-handed shooter, you're gonna move with the target. That's what I'm talking about when we say move. You're gonna move your left hand, which is moving your barrel, not up and down, left and right. And we're going from a right to left target now. So the, the bird gets up, you know, the dog's on point, you're walking up to it, the bird goes to the left. You're going to take your hand, you're going to follow the bird with your left hand and slowly push the gun, the stock, into your face with the right hand. If it hits your face, you should be where you want to be. That's about as short as I can make it. Yeah, and obviously you're starting from what, what most people would call some sort of a ready position. 
Right. And everybody has a little different position there. Um, you know, whatever feels comfortable. I feel, I see a lot of people have the gun way, way too low. It's like their hand is down on their, their hand, not the stock, their hand is down on their hip. Well, you know, that's just so much movement. If the dog's on point, bring the gun up into a ready position, which would be, you know, I'm a little older and I have a little pouch here on my stomach. I'm along, my right hand is kind of on my stomach there. That's where the stock is sitting. So I, (laughs) I still have a really good view of what's going on, but I don't have to move 14 miles to get the gun mounted. Yeah, that's another one that you probably see all the time. You come off and you get a kind of a profile view of a shooter and you see that gun kind of swiveling back. The the barrel goes up and down. Yes, yes. There you go. You hit the nail on the head. All right. So um, the the other thing that we'll delve into in a few moments has to do with foot position. But that that's you're you're hitting on some of the most important stuff that I need when I shoot, and others probably do as well. And I remember back when I was attending a lot of high level uh, competitive shoots never competing i know better but huh. uh, but um a lot of the folks who were waiting to shoot next were tracking those targets with their left hand if they were a right-handed shooter um b- basically doing what you just described but without a gun right and is that still being done and and how do we practice that that's absolutely being done all the time and where that came from was fee task yeah now in fee task you're not allowed anything that uh, talks about presumption of shooting which means you can't pretend you're bringing the gun up to your face like they used to do 100 years ago now with fee task you can use your leading hand to follow it along when like if i'm standing in the first position everybody behind me is following with the line and that's really what it's for is where is the target coming from so you know where to start like we said if the dog's on point how, where do you really start? You call it ready arms. Wherever you st- we call it a hold point. Where your hold point's going to be. So when you know when those birds are getting up, the chuckers are getting up, you know darn well if you're on the side of the hill, I guarantee you they're not flying up. They're going to fly down the hill, right? Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't have the gun way over the top of the bird, I mean, way up on top of the, in the sky. You'd want to have it level to you so you can make the move down the hill on that bird. It's the same thing with sporting clays. So does that make any sense? It makes way more sense than this guy has ever uh, made before of it. So I thank you for that. We're getting warmed up right now. I've got a whole bunch more questions. I hope I am answering the, asking the questions everybody else asks as well. But we'll get deeper into that. We've got a break coming up here. We've still got our Upland Glossary. So everybody out there who wants to learn a little bit more, stick around. And uh, Dave Fiedler, you get a moment or two to rest while I make a couple announcements. So stand by. Can you hear that? Well, if you can, then you're a lucky son of a gun. If you're a regular shooter, maybe you didn't hear that tapping on the microphone. And you should look into audiocardio.com. Funny name, but when you think about it, it is exactly right. Audio Cardio is an app for your phone a hearing wellness app it will strengthen your hearing they call it sound therapy at audiocardio.com it's simple it's a no-brainer even i can do it you get a free trial for two weeks and then after that it's as low as 833 a month now don't take my word for it i'm just getting started on it it takes a few minutes to get oriented on the app and then from there you set your score and then boom you're in you're undergoing audio therapy every time you put those earbuds in you can do everything else you need to do because you won't even hear the audio therapy going on start strengthening your hearing today 14 day free trial and then as low as eight 33 a month go to audio cardio that's audiocardio.com watch a free two-minute video you'll get it believe me you'll get it audiocardio.com let's both start working on our hearing before it's too late and i heard that uh, a lot of you are going to the roughlandkennels.com website looking at accessories as well as their performance kennels they were the pioneers they invented the roto molded dog kennel and for good reason i am going with them as well on every road trip flick has got his kennel he's got his water storage and water dispensing gear he's got my gear storage and all the stuff i drag along including 
just some nice trays that stack on top of my Roughland kennel so everything is handy right there. Learn more about all the colors. Find a local dealer by searching by zip code. It's all at RoughlandKennels.com. And Flick reminds me, yeah, in this world we spell rough, R-U-F-F, Roughland Kennels. And on those notes, because there are a lot of them right there, um, Dave Fiedler rejoins us from Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School just over the hill. And hopefully you're not getting this snow over there, Dave, are you? Nope, we're not getting any snow. It was a little drizzle before, but other than that, it's been really nice. Well, I shouldn't say really nice. It's cold, but it's Monday and Tuesday. I'm close. I don't care. (laughs) Well, good for you, because over there, when it snows, uh, it's a mess. (laughs) <laughs> we're not going to go there uh, i spent five years no i spent nine years in the willamette valley and that was eight and a half too many um, <laughs> now i'm on the dry side where when it does precipitate it's fluffy and it's white so um we're talking clay target games but we're talking bird hunters so if we're going to go to the range you mentioned fee task now if we don't have a fee task course at our local range what can we do to get the most realistic bird hunting practice? You know, one of the best places, and this is what I call a skeet field. A skeet field to me is like the driving range for golf. Mm-hmm. Because you don't go take a lesson usually on a golf course. You go to a driving range. Well, on a skeet, a skeet course or skeet field, I guess I want to call it, is you have a high house and a low house. And you can turn that all the way in a semicircle. So almost everything that you see on a, um, a sporting clay course as a horse next to a rabbit, you can almost emulate on a skeet field. Left to right, right to left, incoming, outgoing. It's, it's all there. And uh, it, it's a really inexpensive place to go and, and practice. Man, I'm a believer, and I'm glad you said that. I knew I, I knew I knew one or two things, and that was the one. Uh, you know what's funny is uh, when I'll I shoot sporting clays only for social reasons with my buddies because they get bored just watching me shoot the same targets on the skeet field all the time. Uh, but even there, I will cherry pick the targets you know i'm not shooting an 80 yard springing teal or like you said those rabbit targets that's okay isn't it yeah i mean the bottom line if you're practicing for hunting you're not going to shoot an 80 yard bird you know you're going to be within you know realistic that that when you shoot it you don't want to waste the bird i mean that's the whole idea that we get take lessons for is it's very uh be a conservative person uh whatever you want to call it so what you shoot at you bring down you're not wounding a bunch of birds you know what you're shooting at you're bringing down and you're going to harvest that bird humanely that's what i really push as far as shooting for a hunter you know you you can shoot at things i mean i can guarantee you i can hit a lot of birds at 60 yards am i going to bring them down dead no but i will hit them um so what good does that do i want to bring something down within the realistic ranges that i know i can kill a bird does that make sense all the sense in the world and i just want to amplify that just a little bit because here's one of the things that i get caught up on and that is i'll start getting caught up on the hardware and 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 the firmware i think they call it some places what kind of ammo i'm shooting what kind of chokes i have in there and then lead and all those things just get in my way i think what about lead how I mean, do you teach lead? And if you do, how do you know, I didn't learn it for 10 years until, you know, 10 years into shotgunning and somebody said, here's how it works. Shoot where there's a hole in the sky. Uh, What do you teach it? I, we don't talk about lead to speak of because what'll happen is, um, they're going to start aiming then they're going to when you say okay i need a a foot in front of that bird they're going to look at the end of the barrel and try to put it in front of the target by a foot well that never works so we look at we really work on looking at okay look at the look at the target as it goes out and look at the leading edge of that okay so as you said look you know shoot at the space in front we you know as as a hunter you're really never going to see much more than a little space you know, once you shoot a little bit, you have a little space, a lot of space, and a ton of space. And as far as a hunter goes, I think you're about that little space, but it also depends how fast you swing your gun. If you're a swing-through shooter, which means the bird is going left to right, you can swing really fast through it, and you pull the trigger at its nose or its beak, you're going to see no perceived lead. 
I'm more of a, uh, of a uh, sustained shooter, which means if the bird gets up, I'm automatically going to be X amount of space in front of that bird. So I'm going to need more space in my little brain. I'm going to need to see a bigger space because my barrel's moving much slower. Does that make sense? It does. Now, I, the, the, when I'm a good shooter, it's because I've gone back to what um, we used to call Churchill method or instinctive right. style shooting. How Correct. does that fit into that milieu of sustained lead versus swing through and all of that? Well, that's that would be closer to a swing through because it's literally like we talk about. Churchill is move, mount, shoot. That, that's he was a short kind of a chunky guy, so he always had short stocks. But his deal was uh, when it hits your face, you pull the trigger, and that's what we work on. And as when you come here for instructions or in, work with any of my instructors everybody automatically leads towards one way of shooting they might as a hunter they're normally going to swing from behind it sometimes they they'll start in front but when we let them shoot on their own um, they will gravitate to one of the ways of shooting it may be swinging from behind it may be starting in front and staying in front and some people first start on the bird and move a little bit away from it as they're getting ready to shoot so everybody gravitates that that way by themselves if you start telling people what to do it usually doesn't work (laughs) you see me shoot (laughs) Uh, we're talking to dave fiedler of mid valley clays and shooting school there in jervis oregon midvalleyclays.com is how you learn more about what they're doing over there from the pro shop with all those great guns to your claycation destination their rv park i can't wait to be over for that i'm waiting until the rain quits over there uh (laughs) but uh and i'm scott linden by the way and this is the upland nation podcast Uh, i i i've confessed over and over and everybody's lived through it and i apologize for that but uh, i'm always looking for help and then i'm also looking to help other people which is probably not a great idea for me but i'm left eye dominant and i shoot right-handed okay So the first solution everybody has is, well, learn to shoot left-handed. Off the table, never going to happen. I won't bore you with the details. What would you, knowing that I'm left-eyed dominant and a right-handed shooter, what is the first thing you would do to me? Well, (laughs) that's, again, we're going to let you lead the way here. Um, Obviously, you said you're not going to switch left-handed. Okay, so there are things you can do there. We have a film that we sell that can go over the top of your left eye. And what that does is break up your left eye dominance a little bit. Some people work really well with that. Some people like to cover the whole eye. I'm not a big fan of that. I would rather do if you're going to do something where you block out, you need to be able to have somebody help you where your left eye goes to the front of the barrel. You put a small dot there. The trouble with that, and I've seen this over and over and over with a small dot there, because your left eye is dominant your left eye is going to tell your head hey i need to go up over the top of that dot so when you see that target i want to have my head go up so i can see that so there is that the other thing hold, to do hold is that, hold close that. your I, left I, eye i gotta write that down that's my newest prime excuse okay i'm good with that <laughs> okay carry on <laughs> <laughs> So the other thing is just to close your left eye when you're getting ready to shoot. My wife is center eye dominant, which means whichever way you look at it, she has two dominant eyes or she doesn't have a dominant eye, whichever way you want to go with. You know, she depends on the day. She says she has two dominant eyes. Yeah. So what she does is she, when she's mounting the gun, and you can watch from behind. If you stood behind her and watched her shoot, her gun goes out, and as soon as you can see her left eye close, or I mean, I'm sorry, her right eye close, she's left-handed. As soon as she closes her right eye, the barrel moves all the way to her left side. I mean, it literally moves a half an inch, and you can see that plain as day. Uh, And that means that eye is taking over instead of not really knowing where to go because she will see two barrels otherwise. Wow, I I guess I should be grateful. I only have one eye of a problem. (laughs) But it's the same thing. You know, you're going to have to, you know, figure out this is what I'm going to do, and just when I'm getting ready to shoot, I'm going to close my left eye for you. And it kind of tunnel visions, and some people, even though they have a right eye dominance and they're shooting from the right side, still want to close that left eye because it kind of tunnel visions everything for them. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of trap shooters that are really good, um, you know, world-class trap shooters that shoot with one eye because there is you know it's everything is contained in the same area they don't have to worry 
about a different speed. They don't have to worry about is this chucker running downhill or what's happening with it, you know, or is it a pheasant going up and away? Um, is it a quail ch- jumping up and, and veering a little to the left? It was when you have, when you're shooting trap, you don't have any of that. It's all the same. So that's why it's a little harder for you. It's like, okay, the quail's going to the left, close my eye and then move with it, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's very useful. How about um, practice technique i guess i i go to the i'm we have a great range up in redmond oregon where i shoot a lot thank you david and all the volunteers over there and and they have two practice stations where you get four talk it's basically it's a miniature five stand is what it is and so i can sit there and shoot four boxes of shells on just one target that i need work on Uh, but when I'm working on that stuff, there's got to be some psychology and there's got to be maybe a a limit to the effectiveness, a hundred targets, maybe too many. Would you agree? I think you've dug yourself a big hole if you're shooting that many targets on or that many shells on one target. What we'll usually do is, and I'm going to call, say they they come to us for a lesson and they have trouble with crossing shots. So we basically do is, and I'm going to use the low house on a skeet field, for example. They have trouble from a right to left uh, crosser. So we start where they can hit them all. Okay, so which would be station seven, which is right next to the low house going out. Because so it's, a, it's have, a going away target right there. Right, yeah. right. It's a going away target. And that usually works. Not all the time, but every you have to figure out what's going to work best for your, for your student. And we have them hit. And we move a little bit just to step to the left, shoot another one. And we just keep moving them all the way to the center of the field. And before they know it, they're shooting crossers without even realize what they did. Or you could sit there in the middle of the field and you could shoot 200 rounds and that guy would be in front, behind, over the top. You know, he would never, never be consistent. But if you can start someplace where you can hit that target and slowly move into where you're going to break it, I'm telling you what, you know, it works so well. It man, it sure does, and I can testify to that. The lessons I've taken, that's exactly what my instructors have done, and it does work. Thank you for reminding me. Um, speaking of those sort of things, I want to talk about beginners for a minute. One of the things that I've found works when I'm starting a beginner, and, and warning to everybody, don't run to me if you're just beginning to be a shooter. But if, <laughs> but if I'm dragooned into helping in some way, the, I do two things first. The first thing I do is I'll put a clay, a stationary clay target on top of a hay bale or something like that and have somebody just shoot that target and break the first one they try to shoot at. That's just psychology. The second thing, though, is when we get to moving targets, I like incoming targets nice slow incoming have you found the same thing oh yes yes we do but we'll do we do things a little different like when we teach instructors and i teach a lot of people to be instructors so what we'll do is we do a lot of practice before you actually pull the trigger because they don't know if they're hitting or missing it yeah so what you're talking about works really good, and I've seen a lot of instructors that do that. What we'll do is we'll actually take them and make them follow the target with the, if they're right-handed with the left hand as the big incomer like you're talking about. Follow with the left hand. Okay, let's follow it. And you tell me when you think you're going to shoot it. You just say bang. Now we do is we follow that along, and as you're watching your hand to the target, as the instructor I'm talking about here, you can see, is this guy going to break the target, or is he six feet to the left or to the right? So once they get it where the hand comes up and they you know they're going to break it, then we put an empty gun in their hand okay now i just want you to follow along with the gun and see what'll happen or uh, you know you tell me bang when you think you're going to shoot it so they don't know that they're not in the same zip code until you get them zeroed in now you if you're confident that they're they're putting the gun in the same spot now you put a live shell in there okay here comes that nice boom pull the trigger 99.9 percent of the target the time they break the target and they're like wow that's the greatest thing in the world I love it. And you know, it's funny is a lot of people will refuse to go to the, that much trouble because they're cheapskates about those stinking targets. When, <laughs> when it's the smartest move, thank you for reminding me about that again. That is so true. Now, if you don't have your, you know, if you don't have range nearby, a lot of this stuff, depending on how careful you are about it, you can do with one of your hand throwers or with a, you know, a foot operated $29 thrower can't you yes you can especially it would be more of the um of the outgoing one but it would be if you did throw an incomer it would be like when we started back in the 80s where you'd have a big hay bale set up there yeah so it would be safe for the shooter you know i mean for the person throwing the target because uh you remember that shooter ready ready are you ready ready 
yep. you hear that for like the whole course. Yeah. So you never really know when somebody's ready because everybody's ready all the time. Yes. Remember that, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, so out of the, all of this, everybody safety first. Yes. Think about who's downrange when they're pulling targets for you. Um, let's, you know, I, 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 I want to, I want to ask you, uh, why it's so important. I'm a big believer and I've taken dozens of lessons. You can't tell from my TV show, but I've taken dozens of lessons <laughs> and, uh, and I'm better off for them, all of them. So thanks, Buzz. Thanks, Chuck. Thank everybody who's helped me on that stuff. Uh, why should bird hunters take a, a lesson from a pro like you? Well, I think, like I said before, I think it's really the ethical thing to do for your birds that you're hunting. Number one, you have less chance of wounding things. You're going to harvest much better, which means you're not going to be wasting a whole bunch of birds, okay? Or, you know, I guess that's the easy way to say it. You spend all the money in a gun. You spend all the money training a dog. So the dog goes on point. You walk into flush. I'll fly the bird. You go bang, bang. The dog looks like you. What are you doing? So, you know, there's, there's a couple really good reasons, you know, and uh, you come home with nothing and the wife's like, hey, you know, how much money are you spending on this and you bring me nothing home? Yeah, it's expensive enough protein when you do bring something home. <laughs> uh, I'll never forget. I went up to a place you probably know up in Squim, Washington and took a lesson from that guy that you probably knew. Um, and uh, and we shot a thousand rounds that day, which was probably oh. probably not the best idea, but I, I lived to tell about it. But before you pulled a single trigger, you filled out a form. And one of the questions on the form was, why do you want to learn to shoot better? And my answer was, so the dog aren't as mad at me that's a fact i see that all the time i believe it and it's so true um dave fiedler mid-valley clays and shooting school um if you were going to leave us with one more bit of advice we're bird hunters we want to shoot better is there anything else you think it's really important that we need to know or we need to practice on a safety tone, I'm going to tell you, you need to get earplugs. You need to get the electronic ones or something like that that you can hear. Uh, I have no, uh, you can't understand, uh, even begin to understand how many old guys come in that can't hear because their whole life they've been hunting and they've never wore any kind of ear protection. You never get that back. Once it's gone, it's gone. So, you, you know, find yourself something, and I'm not going to name any names. We obviously sell them here, but I'm here to tell you, you can hear the animals better. You can hear the flush. You can hear if somebody's out there, whatever the case is, just help yourself be safe. Wear glasses. Wear safety glasses because you only have one set of eyes. I don't care if you're hunting, if you get a poke in the eye with a stick or whatever the case is, or something ricochets with a piece of lead, you know, wear glasses. Those are my two safety things to take away. And third is don't be afraid of coming in and taking a lesson and making sure your gun fits for you, you know? Yeah, gun fit we didn't delve into because I know it's a complicated topic and most of it ought to be shown rather than told. Right. Um, uh, but that's the joy of taking a lesson. You'll find out that real fast. Dave Fiedler is the big boss at Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School. He's got a great team of instructors and other folks out there. Learn more about his operation in Oregon at midvalleyclays.com. Dave Looking forward to being out there with you on my claycation. I'm bringing a victim or two along with me, so uh, take your vitamins before we get there. All good. We're looking forward to it. Thanks a lot for being a part of the Upland Nation. You're welcome. And the rest of you, stick around. We've got more, including our Upland Nation glossary, just a moment for that. But first, Dr. Tim's Natural Performance Dog Food. Have you watched some of those videos on my YouTube channel about why it's important to kind of look carefully at the ingredients in your dog food, where they come from, why they are there, in what quantities or proportions. These are the things that make your dog a better dog physically and mentally. And now is the time to start working on them. You've got the entire off season to basically re- invent your dog's body 
takes 60 or more days for a lot of the stuff that he ingests to actually have its effect on his muscles, his bones, his eyes, the whole megilla. So start looking for a high performance dog food now. There's a variety of uh, formulations at drtims.com. Flick goes for the momentum formulation. It's a little bit higher protein and higher fat, but he is a buff son of a gun, so he can handle that. Check it all out. Find out where the ingredients are coming from, and I'll tell you one thing. If you look at your own dog food and you can't figure out where that fat came from, what kind of fat it is, or where that protein was sourced, you better think twice. Right now, free delivery, 30% off your first order. Just use the code UPLANDNATION at D-R-T-I-M-S. All right, so uh, every week we're learning something new about our world of bird dogs and bird hunting and all the things that matter to us, including a new word in our Upland Nation glossary. If you'd like the whole list, and it's a long one, you can find out, uh, well, everything from A to Z. Just go to findbirdhuntingspots.com. Just search for the glossary, and you'll have no problem finding it. Our word of the day, back. Not the anatomical version, but what a dog does when he sees another dog on point. And that is, we hope, slamming into a point. Now, it won't be as intense and it won't be as focused, but the whole idea is you want a dog that will not horn in on the first dog's find. So that dog should hit a stop or a woe or a point as soon as he sees the first dog on point. Now, in some parts of the country, in some discussions, we also call that honoring a dog's point. Back, honor, same thing. Hit the brakes when you already see somebody else on point, no matter how far away they are. And uh, I um, am glad to see you all visiting that website, findbirdhuntingspots.com. So helpful in so many ways to hear from you there and hopefully vice versa. New material every week, including places to hunt, how to train and care for your dog. And in fact, this time around, the newest iteration is a short piece I wrote on uh, how every retrieve is a blind retrieve. You wonder why? Get the whole story at findbirdhuntingspots.com. And with that, I wish you a fond farewell. Please tell your friends. Please leave a review or a rating at Apple Podcasts. Talk to me at Wing Shooting USA or the Upland Nation Facebook pages. Thank you to all of you who left a rating or review, including Dorn's Deal. And I'll leave you with this anonymous quote, which uh, we all live by to one degree or another. No home decor is complete without dog hair. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation podcast. Until next week, maybe I'll see you at the range.